Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. I'm a female leader in sports. I'm the general manager of a AAA baseball team in minor league baseball, and I'm the first woman to hold this title in nearly 20 years. And I'm here with the Leadership is Female podcast to make sure that this amount of time never goes by again before another woman leads. Marion Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. So I am here to interview successful women in sport to uncover opportunity, learn the tips, learn from our mistakes, learn from our successes to get you to the top faster. Join me and my guests week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. I will lead her forward because leadership is female. Rhonda Cedillo enters her eighth season as Senior Vice President and Chief Financial Officer of the San Diego Padres of Major League Baseball. She manages a staff of 13 in the Finance and Accounting Department. Rhonda is a San Diego native and lifelong Padres fan. She brings 30 years of experience in the accounting industry to her role prior to joining the Padres. Rhonda will discuss landing her dream job with the Padres after 30 years working outside of sports. Her main message don't give up on yourself. A lot of things in life may take longer than you expect. When you get the chance to interview for your next big role, focus on selling your prior experiences and don't worry as much about what you might lack. You can keep an open mind and learn those new skills on the job. One of my favorite topics with Rhonda was talking about taking on too much. At some point, we all say yes to too many things. She walks you through letting go of some commitment so that you can be the best for what matters to you most. Personally, I really needed this advice. Rhonda's a teacher and mentor by nature. She lays down so many great lessons in this interview. It makes me want to sit at my desk with a hot cup of coffee, listen, absorb, and then go take on the world. I hope you feel this way too. Here we go. Episode 19 of the Leadership is Female podcast. I know that that schedule is packed and that includes your input on what will be successful and and what might not be. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast, Rhonda Cedillo, Senior Vice President, Chief Financial Officer for the San Diego Padres. So happy to have you here today, Rhonda. If you could kick us off and tell us who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Okay. Um, Thank you very much, Emily. My name is Rhonda Cedillo. Uh, Like you said, I'm the Senior Vice President and Chief Financial Officer for the San Diego Padres. So what I do is oversee all of the finance and accounting functions for the entire Padres organization from the major league team all the way down through the minor leagues, all of our minor league affiliates, as well as our Dominican Republic complex. Um, I got here, uh, luckily for me, in January of 2013. Um, So I've had a few seasons under my belt now. Um, I, I'm a San Diego State grad, uh, got my CPA license, worked for the first seven years of my professional career as a um, tax manager with Pricewaterhouse, uh, which became Pricewaterhouse Coopers, which I must say at the time, um, the Padres were actually my tax client. So I did the Padres tax returns long before I ever did any of their day-to-day accounting. I was uh, there for seven years and then went to a client, was in the insurance industry for 12 years, also a very male-dominated field. Um, and uh, at the end of 12 years, we had taken the company from a privately held organization through being owned by venture capitalists to then being sold to a public company. So I got a lot of great experience working with different types of ownership groups, um, learning what's important to different types of groups, et cetera. 
Um, and then uh, in the end of 2012, when the Padre organization was sold to what is now the current ownership group of um, Ron Fowler and Peter Seidler, they were looking for a new CFO um, or, or, or knew they would be looking for a new CFO. Uh, Fred Gerson was gonna retire at the time. And um, luckily for me, Ron Fowler's wife and I used to work together way, way, way back at Pricewaterhouse in the 90s. Um, and she knew I was an avid baseball fan and obviously knew that I was an accountant and had been and was local and was very involved with San Diego State, um, which was also important to them. So networking through Alexis, I got to meet Ron Fowler um, at a baseball game in late September of 2012. Um, and that conversation just rolled right into um, you know, really the opportunity to interview for the CFO job. So um, at the end of 2013, um, I was off, or the end of 2012, I was offered the job and I started in January of 2013. Wow, what a great story. And I love how you really landed the role through networking, through your relationships. And um, some of the most leaderful women I have interviewed um, they don't interview for their jobs. They meet through through their networks and through their record of great work. Um, they have a chance to earn the role. And it sounds like, Rhonda, that rings true for you too. Absolutely. <laughs> so given your role and your um, big responsibility, can you talk to us a little bit about what it looks like to be in your chair day to day, um, what it looks like season to season, obviously in baseball, um, we are playing a lot of the year, um, have a, a short off season. What does that look like for you? Well, it's, it's kind of ironic because actually for us in the accounting department, um, our busy season is the off season of baseball. Um, you know, as soon as the, we play our last game, we're already thinking about next year and budgeting for next year and budgeting, getting ready for year end and doing our financial statement audits and, and trying to, you know, so much of it is planned in advance. Um, you know, by August, September of any given year, you're already rolling through next year. And what are your giveaways going to be? And what does your schedule look like? And who's traveling where? And all of those things. So it's it's a very busy all the time uh, job, along with all of the audits that go on. We've got MLB audits. We've got city audits. We've got Petco Park events. We've got a very robust event group here that takes advantage of every opening on the calendar to have a concert or some sort of event. So it's there's a lot of money that flows in and out of this organization. Um, and quite frankly, for us, by the time opening day rolls around, we're kind of on cruise control as we go through the season because everything is done so much in advance. Not for 2020, but for every other year that I've been here. Uh, 2020 has been a completely different year. But I would say as far as my day-to-day -day job, I probably have about an hour of stuff that I do every day and that's you know what I call the more mundane things like reading the sports scan and reading articles in in the sports journal and things like that probably the rest of my day is what I call putting out fires or dealing with the one-off situations and and helping people a very open door policy with my um, entire staff here so if they've got an issue or they're working on something I always tell them come on in let's discuss it um, I would rather be more proactive on the front than having to fix something on the back end. So, you know, a lot of what accounting is, is very cyclical with monthly financial statements and all of those other things. But really, 75% of my job is probably just dealing with things as they arise, letters or, or things that come from MLB that need to be taken care of, or 
purchases that need to be made or capital projects or running a cost benefit analysis or you know just a whole myriad of, of, of things that can happen um, when when you're in charge of all of the money in a big organization. Yeah, and in such a busy organization, San Diego, Petco Park, couldn't reside in a more beautiful area with um, wonderful weather to host at your beautiful facility. So you had said to me that one of your founding principles is don't give up on yourself. A lot of things take longer than you might expect. Can you talk about that? Yes, I, I'm happy to talk about that. And I think let's first start with my my college career. Um, as you and I talked, Emily, you know, I, I graduated from high school and um, immediately started at San Diego, uh, excuse me, UCSD, um, because I wanted to be a heart surgeon. I wanted to be a doctor. My mom had died when I was younger of heart disease. And I thought that that would be what I would do um, for my for my job. Um, so I started at UCSD taking a bunch of science classes, as you would expect. Um, and I don't know, lo and behold, two or three years in, um, I'd gotten married. I was having my first child and I thought, you know, I don't want to go to school for 12 years to be a doctor. I'm going to switch and do something that I can do from home with children. Maybe I'll open my own bookkeeping business. So I started taking accounting classes. I transferred, um, started taking accounting classes and realized, uh, by the time I had my second son that a, I loved accounting and B being a stay at home mom was not going to be for me. So long story short, after 28 semesters, so that's 14 years after I graduated from high school, I finally graduated from college. So that was a never give up on yourself moment because I'm sure there were times, plenty of times along the way that my husband thought I was gonna be a perpetual student forever. Um, But I think it also, you know, um, was good for my kids to grow up and see, you know, going to school and going to college and sticking with it and, you know, you know, just doing something until you find what what you like and and then going with it. Also in between those two, I had gone and became a licensed medical assistant, thought I wanted to be a paramedic. So I did that for two years um, between the two and then went went to accounting um, and and graduated finally with a degree in accounting. I knew that I wanted uh, public accounting experience. I had been, and I was really good at accounting, luckily for me, math was kind of always my strong suit. and I worked for in public accounting. I always wanted that on my resume. Um, and being an older graduate, you know, going to going to work in the audit department with a bunch of 22 year olds really wasn't appealing to me because at that time I was 32 and had two small kids and our lifestyles just weren't the same. So I went to work in the tax department um, and it was really, really interesting. Um, but it was the same sort of thing where I thought, do I want to do taxes for the next 30 years of my life? Um, Or do I want to get back more into the general accounting area, which is what I really what I wanted to do. Um, But, you know, seven years in, you're almost to the point where you're pigeonholing yourself. But I took a step back and said, you know what, I'll 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 take less money to get back into general accounting, which is what I wanted to do, which luckily for me, I didn't have interview for that job either, because somebody that I had worked with prior was then the CFO of the insurance um, agency. So she called me up and asked me if I wanted to um, come over to, to the Arrowhead as a as the controller, which um, I did. You know, it's that whole twice as much money, half as many hours. Um, <laughs> didn't take much long for me to change my mind and uh, and agree to do that, which was a great ex- great experience. I knew nothing about insurance, but you know, the good thing about accounting is debits and credits are debits and credits. It's just the nuances of the actual business that you're running. Um, and I found it fascinating. It's 
the in, the inside of the insurance world is as as fascinating, quite frankly, as the inside of the baseball world. When you're always seeing it from the outside, um, you don't really realize. And I was really lucky um, that she actually got fed up with the job about a year and a half in um, and quit. And the CEO of the company came in and said, asked me if I thought I could be the CFO and if I wanted to give it a try. And of course, you're never going to turn down that opportunity. Um, what's the worst I could do? I could fail at it, right? Um, but I wasn't going to do that because that's not in my nature. So I ended up being the CFO um, of the insurance company there for um, 10 years before I came to the Padres. So um, you know, it's kind of one of those things, never give up. Um, it, it, and I think the other part of the story is, you know, you're, to, to find something that you're passionate about and to do it and to be willing to make the change, um, not feel like you're stuck doing something. There's very little that you, you know, very little roads that you go down that you can't turn around or, or change paths somewhere along the way. And I'm living proof of that. <laughs> I, I love what you said there, you know, never give up on yourself seize the opportunity and take it when it comes, find something you are passionate about. There's not many times where you can't turn around and try something new. And I, it's just, it's so great to hear that from you who was such a successful professional, because I think sometimes we're running too fast earlier in our career that we, we set these milestones for ourselves that are very short windows of time. Oh, in six months, you know, I'm going to be vice president or um, by this time I'm going to be this, which I love goal setting. Um, but I think what this represents is like, you have some time to reach your goals. Your career is probably much longer with many more opportunities than you could have ever imagined. So getting too wrapped up in that moving the game piece, you know, one very calculated square at a time, you know, even hearing that from you as an accountant, right? Like it's, it's pretty wonderful to um, be reminded of the opportunities that exist for us. And when I talk to the, um, I do a lot of um, talking with the students at San Diego State and various colleges around and, and almost every single time somebody will come up to me at the end and say, I'm so glad you said that. And, you know, both my kids are graduated from college and, you know, uh, telling them you, at 22, you barely know how to feed yourself, let alone what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Right. So it's OK to make the it's OK to make changes. It's OK to change your major. My daughter changed her major three or four times while she was going to college because she didn't know what she wanted to do. I didn't want her to finish with a four year, five year degree that she absolutely hated work in a field that she didn't want to be in. Um, you know, of course, growing up with a mom who was constantly going to college as she was growing up. You know, I think it it empowered her. And then I, you know, let the kids know too when I'm talking. I refer to them as kids because they are kids when they're in, in college, you know, that it's okay to try different things. It's okay to change your mind. And most importantly, don't be hard on yourself if you don't get that VP job before your 23rd birthday. There aren't a lot of people, most people are still figuring it out when they're 23. Take jobs that are interesting to you, learn from them. And then when they stop being interesting or you stop learning, do something else. You know, nobody wants to be in the same job now for 40 years, you know, that kind of thing. So I think when people hear that you can, for me, land your dream job at, you know, age 50. <laughs> now, most people want their dream job when they're 25 or 30. Um, but it, but it's all part of that. Don't give up on yourself and just keep going for it. I love that. And you, um, you led me to the next question, which is selling your experience. 
So talk to us about winning the role uh, with the Padres after 30 years of accounting experience under your belt and the tips that you have um, for anybody going out trying to win their next role on how to sell their experience. Well, I think there are basic tenants for every job. Um, you know, there are probably 50 or 60% of your skill set. You know, and you're in accounting, like I said, you, you've, you've got to know debits and credits. You've got to know how to financial statements work. You've got to know basic things about accounting that are in every accounting job, whether you're working for a manufacturer or widgets or a, a, a baseball team. And it's got to be the same for if you want to be in marketing. There's there's basic principles of marketing that are going to apply across wherever you're doing marketing for or whatever your business is for. So it's selling yourself that you have this great foundation and that you're hungry and eager and willing and ready to learn the nuances of that new um, that new position or that new industry that you're going into, but that you've got such a solid foundation that you can make it work when you go in there. And that, you know, I think part of the, the, the biggest thing is admitting that, to, that on day one, you're not going to know everything, but that you're really willing, able, and ready to learn um, and to, you know, to just jump in with both feet um, and, and, you know, it's it's daunting at first, uh, first couple months, you know, especially like somebody for me, always have been a baseball fan my whole life. I had done Padres tax returns. I had seen what their financial statements look like. But when I got on the inside of baseball, and you know this, Emily, it's it's crazy. It's amazing when you think of what it takes to put, you know, 25 guys out onto a field every day. Um, and so for me, that A, that was fascinating. And B, it just showed, you know, really how much I needed to learn. But but on the underside of that was, it's still accounting, it's still debits and credits, it's cash accounts, it's paying bills, it's making payroll, it's doing all of those other things, just in a different arena and just with different type of players. So um, I think a lot of it is just being, when you're interviewing for a position, is to really sell yourself on what you're good at um, and, and the fact that you're, the, you know, you're a quick learner and you'll, you'll be able to apply your skill set. Yeah, I think that's wonderful advice. Knowing that you've got the solid foundation to perform the role and then having a willingness to learn and also admit, you know, hey, I'm not going to know everything from day one, but I want you to have a great return on investment of your investment in me, in your company. And um, going in with that confidence that you are going to produce results um, for the company and you're the right fit is, um, is absolutely the keys to, to winning that role. And speaking of you winning that role, earning that role with the Padres, you entered the organization at a top role um, where you were going to oversee an existing team. So how do you navigate this when um, you've got people who've been there for a long time and um, you're coming in new? Do you have any tips? Um, yeah, so that was really interesting, especially as I thought, you know, walking in on day one, okay, these, a lot of people in this department had been here for 10, 15 or more years. Um, and, you know, I'm sure they're thinking, well, who is this gal coming in that doesn't have any baseball experience and, and she's going to be my boss? She doesn't, you know, she doesn't know anything about baseball. Um, so, you know, I, I have one-on-one -on -one meetings with everybody. I scheduled them, um, really relatively soon after I first started, because I think that I wanted to put them all at ease, that I wasn't coming in at the top and that they were all going to lose their job and I was going to bring in all people that I knew. 
Um, so I met with them, got to know them, what they, not only what they do on a day-to-day basis with the potters, but kind of a little bit more personal, like what they do outside of work and what their interests are and really just trying to um, develop that, that uh, friendliness camaraderie. And, and, and I ended almost every single, I did in every single meeting by telling them, look, I need you probably more than you need me. You're the ones with the institutional knowledge. You're the ones that know everybody here in the organization. You're the ones that know how this thing all fits together. I need to learn all that. And I need to learn that from you. Um, But that I was brought in because I do have the skill set as the CFO. And there are things that are needed of a CFO position that aren't needed at the accounting clerk level or at the payroll clerk level or, or what have you, but that we needed to work together as a team. And I think more importantly, putting them all at ease, that their jobs were secure, that um, we were going to work together. Um, I was also let them know that, you know, I had sort of been tipped off that a lot of what what we were doing here is because there hadn't been any change in 10 or 15 years. And I had been at a very tech forward company. Um, and so, you know, that was one of the things when, when I was talking um, to Ron on it before I accepted the job was like how to bring this accounting department forward using technology. Um, so I think once they realized that I was going to not only try and bring more technology, but I was going to make their jobs easier and faster and better. And, you know, we were going to evaluate who did what and get rid of what we didn't need to do. And, you know, that I wanted to give everybody opportunities to cross train if they wanted to, so that they could kind of see what it was other positions that were available within the department. So really just kind of trying to bring a fresh, uh, fresh um, perspective and you know all of my years of experience um, at, in accounting and to try and help them with their jobs. So I think um, you know over the course of those two or three weeks, by the end we were we were all really good friends, and I think we had a, we were all on a good starting point. Hey, just a quick break to remind you to go on over to emilyjansen.com to download your free copy of the Ten Myths About Being a Female Leader in Sports. This guide will show you what's possible to achieve in life while having an incredible career in sports and give you the tips so you can get to the top faster. Head on over to emilyjansen.com and grab your copy. It's free. Now let's get back to this great interview. What does what does that mean to you? Uh, well, for starters, I, I am very involved in both and, and a very active alumni at San Diego State. Um, my daughter actually graduated from there. My son went there, but graduated from Cal State Fullerton. It's a great great school in San Diego. Um, the Fowler College of Business um, is there and is cr- cranking out great, great um, business students. And, and the Campanile Foundation is the nonprofit arm of the school. And the Athletics Committee is the one that determines um, or helps out with all of the fundraising efforts. Um, you know, the Aztecs are building a new stadium. They, they um, they used to play where the San Diego Chargers played and the Chargers left. So this old dilapidated stadium is being taken down and they're building a new stadium. So just being part of the, the foundation and the people who are, you know, meeting on a monthly basis and figuring out how to get people to get interested in as tech athletics um, and in, from a booster point or from helping students point or, you know, the, the becoming a professional um, wh- what to do with kids once they play athletics but aren't going to be professional. Um, so it's it's just a really fun organization to be involved in. And now, especially with the stadium going up to be part of 
seeing what's available first and, you know, helping them with naming rights and sweet sales and lead, and lead generations, you know, from people that I know from, from the industry. And then in the sports MBA program, um, so I got contacted out of the blue um, to, to potentially just sort of talk about the business of baseball. Um, and, and they had had people from various, they had somebody from the Chargers come in and various um, sporting industry. And I just hit it off with the professor really well. And, I, you know, I think also being a female um, in, in a role in, a, in Major League Baseball, I kind of, there was a bunch of gals in the class that, that, that wanted to talk to me more about getting into the organization and um, or, or how to come put your foot forward and get into sports in general, not just with the Padres. Um, and so it just sort of began a, a yearly, I would, every year I would give the, update my slides and get the new um, uh, business of baseball. And then from there, it just got, then I got invited to lecture in the tax section on unique tax issues as it relates to, to uh, baseball. And, and then, then a couple of the gals that were in the a business organization wanted me to speak to the business group. So I'm probably at the school, probably more now than I was when I was a student there. Um, but I just, it, I real, I get a lot of it, a lot out of it personally, um, being around the the kids and seeing their energy every day. Um, but I think a lot of it also lets them know, like we had talked about at the beginning, where you know, you just got to work hard and 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 network, network, network. I tell them that's really one of the most important things. Other than when I interviewed for my job at Pricewaterhouse, I have not really been on a formal job interview since then. Um, it's all been through networking and who you know and you know introductions that people can make. So just really involved at the school. Um, I was also on other other boards, um, and I think as as we talked about, you know, um, when you realize that you've said yes to too many things, and then you really need to prioritize what is the most important thing for you to do and the best use of your time um, and to back away when you feel like you're spreading yourself too thin because if you're if you're not doing a great job you're taking the place of somebody who would be doing a great job and that was the hardest thing for me to learn um, when I was on the board of the Red Cross um, I really loved it but it just got to the point where I couldn't do everything and my job um, and my my family and all of that so it was um, one day I just kind of had a little meeting with myself about, about setting priorities and, and cutting it down to two or three things that I could jump in with both feet and spend a lot of time and do a really good job at and, you know, having to let the others down. Um, what I felt like was letting them down, but I think for all the right reasons, um, you know, I've always been a, if you're not going to do it right, don't bother kind of a person. So I had reached that point and, um, I'm happy I did it. I've, I'm now fully entrenched in all things San Diego State. Yeah, it sounds like you really found your passion um, with San Diego State, and it matches up with, with you as an alumni, as, as having um, your daughter have gone there, and then all the different ways in which you can contribute. Um, it's, it's definitely a home run um, opportunity because it, it's not easy to to say no to some organizations and, and yes to others. Um, but as you, yeah, those are um, really beneficial tips and a roadmap um, on how to successfully enter an organization. I think that emotional security of the staff who's there, like knowing that, you know, oftentimes a change will do you good. And it sounds like that's what you really presented mm -hmm. to the group. 
which is why it was so successful. So that was um, incredible answer. Thank you. <laughs> Wanted to talk a little bit about community service that you do. Um, two different arenas. The first um, is, can you talk about your role in the Campanile Foundation Athletics Committee and as a guest lecturer and mentor for the sports MBA program at San Diego State University? Astutely put, you know, if you can't do the best job that you can do or that they're expecting of you, you've got to step away and make room for somebody else to have that opportunity. And I think that that's, that's a very welcoming way to, to exit and then make room for the next person down the line. So in this career that you've had, can you identify a biggest hurdle that you've had to overcome? Probably when I was at the insurance agency. Um, I had been there in the CFO role for about four years. I've been the controller for two and then I had been the CFO for four years. And that was when we sold the company to the pri to a private equity group. Um, and that was a phenomenal experience getting to be involved in all of that and, and, you know, being on Wall Street in New York City and presenting to potential investors and all of that other fun stuff that we got to do. But when, when the dust had settled and we were now um, owned by private equity and, you know, private equity, um, their main thing is to make money for their investors. So the first thing that they typically do when they come in is, you know, they cut expenses, they, they really drive hard on revenue and, you know, they're trying to make the company more profitable. Um, and one of the things that was sort of the tipping point for me was when they came in and told me that they were bringing in a new CFO that was that had private equity experience um, and then I was going to be still doing everything that I did um, but that I was going to be the chief accounting officer which was fine um, but I think the hardest part for me was I felt like he got all of the glory and I'm not a glory seeker by any stretch but you know my staff still did all of the work he got all the glory for being the CFO and he really didn't do anything. I really, to this day, don't know what he did other than go to meetings. Um, I don't think he ever really learned our business. Um, and it was kind of funny. I remember about two years in um, just going to, the, to our CEO and, and basically saying, look, nothing has changed. Me and the rest of my department are still doing everything. I don't know how much longer I can be here with he and I both. Um, nice guy, everything, but I just, it was just getting a little tenuous. And, um, you know, I said, this is not a threat. I'm not, you know, whatever. Um, but I said, we've got to make, I've got to figure out how to make this work. Cause it was, it was starting to get really frustrating, um, for me. And, uh, so long story short, I don't know exactly how it happened, but on the back end, um, he must've sensed it as well. Um, you know, there had been other issues along the way and, and he stepped he actually um, stepped down and, and, and left the company and I got my CFO uh, job back. But I think it was probably just because, A, I had been doing the work the whole time and B, I had just persevered and said, you know what, some things are out of my control. All I can do is do a really great job like I've always been doing um, and just be patient. And, uh, you know, but there, there were days and you know, when I got home from work and I'm like, I, I can't stay, I can't do this anymore. And, um, but I loved my job and I loved the people that I was working with. Um, and I knew that it would get better. 
better. If I had not, if I had known that it wasn't going to get better, I would have left because I'm not the kind of stick around. Um, but I just sensed that we could make a difference. Um, and by then I could tell the direction of the company. We were actually exiting the, the privately held or private equity ownership group. And we had already started in on the um, process of selling selling the company. So I knew that that, was, that, that situation was going to end anyway, um, most likely. Um, so that was probably my, my tipping point and um, kind of how I overcame it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great story of, of perseverance. And then, you know, when you'd had enough, you stood up for yourself. You yep. used your voice to um, talk about how you felt and lay it out on the table. If this doesn't change, you know, you're going you're gonna to lose me. And it sounds like they were able to see where the value came from. Can you tell me about the Padres? What has been your favorite moment working for the team? Oh gosh, there's so many things, but I got to say what was the most special, probably one of the most special, uh, we had, we hosted the all-star game here in 2016. So that was a lot of fun and a great chance to show San Diego, the city, um, a whole host of accounting issues that came along with that, but that, that was all fine and dandy. But I think probably the culmination for me was um, when Trevor Hoffman was inducted into the Hall of Fame and we all got to go back for the Hall of Fame um, induction ceremonies and all of the parties that go along with that. I'd never been to Cooperstown, um, even as a big, huge baseball fan and someone who I consider myself pretty knowledgeable about, you know, how things work. And especially now, I feel like I know the inner, inner workings, but really to just go back to Cooperstown, it's just that quaint little town in New York and just how much they love and celebrate baseball. And I think for me, if I have to pick my one ultimate favorite um, day, I'll make a story quick. Um, it was, we had a day game and um, there was a little kid, probably seven or eight years old with his Hosmer jersey on, he had a ball in his hand and a pen and he was trying to get autographs and he had seen that I had a Padre badge on and I was down on the field and his dad pulled me over and said, hey, ma'am, excuse me, ma'am, can you adopt my son for a day and take him on the field? And I said, well, I can't really do that, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I, I can probably, I can come up and get him and I can take him for a little tour down through by the tunnel and all of that kind of stuff. Long story short, I, I go up into the stands, I get the little kid and I'm talking to him and he's just darling. And um, I took him through the tunnel and we walked by the batting cage and Eric Cosmer happened to be in the batting cage. Um, and so I, I said, to, I kind of pulled him over and said, you know, there's Eric Cosmer right there. And he, he, his eyes just got as big as saucers. Well, at that moment, Eric Cosmer turned around and he came over to the kid and he's like, hey buddy. And you know, took a nice haircut. Oh, I really like your Jersey made the kids day. He took pictures with the kid. He signed the ball, the whole nine yards. He's, I got to get back to, you know, practicing my swings, but it was great to meet you. And, you know, as I turned around and walked the kid back to his dad and he was running at full speed ahead, I was just praying that he didn't trip over the stairs um, running back to his dad. So knowing that I probably made that kid or helped to make that kid a baseball fan for life. I mean, he not only did he you know, get to go see the underbelly of the, the ballpark, you know, where the, where the, where the players, the players, the clubhouse. Um, but he actually just in a complete happenstance um, got to meet his favorite baseball player. So that I knew that it was, a, that I had a really special job at that point when I could make someone stay like that. Ah, oh, what an incredible <laughs> story. And that's what it's, it's what it's all about is those experiences for the people who are a part of the game. Um, I love that. That was like all the feels and um, boy, I can't wait to get back to playing. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, for sure. Um, making more of those memories. That is so special. So I want to wrap up um, with your favorite quote. We end every episode like this. Where do you draw your inspiration and um, how can you lead us forward? Well, I'm going to leave with one of my favorite ones, uh, favorite quotes. It's by Milton Berle, who's just an a hysterical old guy, but it's, if opportunity doesn't knock, build your own door. Um, and I think that's kind of sort of my motto for my whole life, that create, create opportunities for yourself and, and network and, and look at things and look at things with fresh eyes and, you know, just, just go for it, you know, create your own opportunities. You know, I always, again, when I'm talking to the students or whatever, I'm like, it's easy to just come to work and do what you're assigned and, you know, punch the clock at the end of the day and go home. It's the people that get ahead are the people that are saying, what else can I do? What else can I do? How can I learn that? Can I take that on? I'd love to try that. And that's, I've always been that kind of a person. And those are the people that at least when I have people that work for me that are like that, those are the people that also get promoted and, and get moved ahead. So, um, you know, create your own possibilities. I couldn't agree more. What an incredible lesson to leave us with Rhonda Cedillo, Senior Vice President, Chief Financial Officer for the San Diego Padres. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Rhonda, for that great interview. Now it's time to get into the top four takeaways. Number one, never give up on yourself. Seize the opportunities as they come, when they come. It may take a bit longer than you expected, and that's okay. Have patience. Number two, find something you are passionate about. If you find that what you are doing no longer interests you, it is not too late to make a change or turn around and go the other direction. Don't be afraid and certainly don't stick with something you don't enjoy or is no longer providing you growth. Number three, when interviewing for a new role, demonstrate your solid foundation and your willingness to learn. Admit you may have a lot to learn, but you have the foundation to hit the ground running and the energy to learn what's needed to be successful. Number four, on entering a new organization, schedule 1v1s with your new coworkers and get to know them. Establish emotional security with those who work under you and let them know that there will be changes, but if they keep an open mind, they will certainly benefit. Let the people around you know that, humbly, you are looking forward to learning from them too. Hey you, did you join my email list? I want to stay in touch with you so that you'll have the heads up on new podcast episodes and get the tips you are looking for to empower you to level up. It's easy to sign up. Head on over to emilyjansen.com. I'm so excited you are here and I can't wait to help lead you forward in the career of your dreams. Again, that's emilyjanson.com. Thank you for listening to the Leadership is Female podcast. It means the world to me that you chose to spend your time with this podcast today. If you like this episode, subscribe, share, and review. What can you do today to lead her forward? We will do our part to lead her forward because leadership is female. Thank you for joining us. This podcast was recorded and edited by Emily Jansen, public relations by Paige Hegedus, and distributed by Anchor FM.